goal chance for Conor McGrath. Bernie will surely give it in, Conor. What a goal! Mackey heading it towards the 21 meter line. Team Mackey still going. Go on, your boy. Goal is up for Cats. Oh, what a goal! I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now, anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly, but will stick in your mind that the champions who showed class. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. Been a small change before the game, worth the street. <laughs> been a look, Donovan Connor. Wild effort on goal. It's on the first Equalizer. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to Off the Balls GAA podcast, GAA on News Talk with Board Gosh Energy, proud sponsors of the GAA Hurling All Ireland Senior Championship. Keep up to date and follow hashtag Hurling to the Core. A man who is definitely hurling to the core, Shane Stapleton. Shane, how are you? Not too bad yourself, Shane. I'm good. How can people follow you and abuse you? Uh, go straight to at Shane saying to abuse on Twitter. And you can get me on at Oshin Langan. Coming up, Willie Quinlan, formerly of Carlo, on what they can expect and what they can get out of their Saturday night clash with Dublin in Portlaoise. They're going to lose it, but could it be a positive experience? Or can you take any positives out of a game that you know you're probably going to be beaten and beaten well in? A leash up against Kildare this weekend. Leash had a horrible league campaign but their championship hasn't gone so badly so far. They've already beaten Longford. They hope to add Kildare to their hit list. Ex-Leash player Peter O'Leary will let us know what's going on in the Midlands specifically. Leash also former Limerick hurler and I think it's fair to say legend as well. Yeah it would be yeah. yeah. 100%. Kieran Carey he'll preview Limerick against Clare in the Munster Senior Hurling Championship semi-final uh, Gizzy Ling will be watching that one for Off the Ball on Sunday afternoon. We'll also have people at every other ground, including Mossy Quinn and Anthony Moyles. Shane, the stories of the week. Yeah, I suppose you can't go too far without uh, hearing the name of Cahill Barrett this week. You know, he's been dropped from the Tipperary panel amid like an absolute maelstrom of uh, speculation down in Tipperary. Salacious rumours about all sorts of stuff going on. At so the let's moment. just clarify what we absolutely know. Yeah, I mean, and this is the thing. There, Tipperary is probably the worst county going for rumour and all the things I've heard which I'm not going to go into because they are only rumours I believe are absolute rubbish so the the thing we do know is that he was dropped for disciplinary reasons now Tim Floyd came out the secretary for Tipperary came out and said it's like putting it's like the child being put in the corner for a while now that's fair enough if Carl Barrett has stepped over the line I suppose he needs to be punished now I would say if he's breached discipline badly, you almost need to see the player gone for the year because you need to set the example. I mean, Tipperary have had a couple of issues in the past uh, in terms of discipline and it's festered for a while. And if somebody has really, really stepped over the line, you know, you do need to set the example that this is not the way it's going to be. But I would have a little bit of an issue in terms of saying it's like the child being put in the corner for a while. Yeah, We're but, talking but about that's an the secretary. Here. That's not the manager saying that. And of I think that's not. important. And Tim Floyd does a great job yeah. as tip secretary. But really I think good. maybe if I was Michael Ryan, I'd be thinking, that's kind of my job to say that kind of thing. It's, it's my decision whether he is in or out of the panel. Yeah, well, look, the day the story, before it was breaking, I mean, it was like a wildfire spreading. And uh, I tried to get in contact with Michael Ryan. His phone was off. And I'm sure every other journalist in the country tried to get on to him. So... That was completely Michael Ryan's choice not to come out and talk. And I think we can kind of look at Tipperary in terms of how they deal with the media as a wider kind of a, a discussion, if we like, and how they've closed up shop a little bit in the last couple of years since Eamon O'Shea took over. But the thing is, 
someone from Tip had to come out, and Tim Floyd, to be fair to him, w- did man up and come out and do it. And I think he's he's uh, in general I have great time for for Tim Floyd, but I just think the choice of word, even though it's a perfect analogy, I, and he's probably right. This is the thing. I mean, it does seem that should Cahill Barris, um, should Cahill Barris recover from his injury, and should he show the kind of uh, discipline that he needs to show, which he has done in the past. He's an all-star winner, keep in mind, that he probably will come back into the squad. But that's Michael Ryan's call and Michael Ryan alone. Yeah, and it, he should be the guy, you know, out front and centre here. But it is difficult. And I know from the, like from over the years, Tipperary would have suffered for similar from similar problems at, as Dublin would with the media, whereby the team is named, there's massive speculation all over the county, Interviews with players, people, uh, players talking quite frankly, and then Dublin decided we're shutting up shop here when Pat Gilroy came in, and there's far less access. And it's the same with Tipperary. Yeah. A couple of years ago, they had a poor league, and uh, I, I interviewed James Woodlock over the phone. You know, he went to the same school as me, so th- there was no problem at all. Did the interview, and then about a week later, he texted me and said, "Look, can you not use that interview uh, the week of a game, which is the only time you want to use an interview like that?" Because he was asked by management, they'd, they'd lost a few games and they were worried about the perceptions out there. When, because Tip had played a few poor games, all anyone was writing about was Tip in crisis. Whereas if if they actually let James yeah. let the interview out, he can actually frame things uh, in a positive context. I do feel but bad for Michael Ryan in a sense. I understand why he hasn't come out and talked, because from his point of view, he would probably only add fuel to it mm-hmm. and. They did release a statement, so that was that was a smart thing to do. A very short one sentence statement. Carl Barrett has been dropped for disciplinary reasons. Uh, the point I made on News Talk Breakfast the morning this all broke was that you never heard of any of this kind of stuff from Kilkenny. I'm sure it has happened. Maybe it hasn't, mm-hmm. but if it has, you haven't heard of it. And Jackie Tyrrell said it just didn't exist. You wouldn't be able to. Obviously, Brian would have never really had to deal with those things. The players would have expected ultimate professionalism. Now, is he right there? Like, does this stuff happen in other counties and it just doesn't happen in Kilkenny? Oh, 100%. Like, you know as well as I do. And I'm not going to name any counties because, again, that's spreading um, filth or whatever. But we've heard of players, like, people assaulting each other on on county panels. You know, people going off the rails altogether. It happens. It does happen. But Tipperary is a county where rumours spread like wildfire very quickly. There seems to be a real appetite for it. You know, even think of the Tipperary Star a couple of years ago talking about Tipperary in the dock because the players went on the beer for a few days after losing to Limerick it is a county that loves to hammer their own and and that's always been the way yeah it's true it's it's tough on the Tipperary players I have to say and this is tough on Cahill Barrett even yeah. if he has stepped over the line even if he has done something wrong he's an amateur and he has to go about his day to day life I'm, I'm not sure where he works or what he does or if he's a student or whatever but he has to talk to his family and talk to his friends and it's maybe tough on his family because people are saying it to him and Carl Barrett even the people who aren't saying it to him maybe he knows they're thinking about it and that's really really tough on a guy who has dedicated his life to becoming an elite athlete and he is an elite athlete Absolutely I know he's one of these guys who when he came into the Tipperary panel you know they measure your jump and your, your functional movement screening and all this kind of stuff and he wouldn't have been an amazing underage player. He always would have showed promise. But then he was able to, from all the S&C work, he was able to more or less double his jump, which just shows wow. the, you know, that that's... And that's pure work from him. Yeah. That's how you achieve that. And, that. and that's how a player can become better in the gym. They often talk about, he's gone too big, he's yeah. gone too bulky. But it's to get faster, it's to get springer. But the second story we will talk about is Brendan O'Sullivan, of course, and the doping. But I, I believe that this story 
kind of links with it in terms of how an amateur player is scrutinised at such a national level. It's incredible the spotlight mm. that's on somebody who has to go to work the next day. I, th- I think, you know, when you see Paul Kimmage um, talking about it with um, with Mark O'Shea on the radio the other day, and it just it just doesn't sit right that an amateur player is held up to such scrutiny when, you know, John Tracy talks about, you know, there's a process in place and it's well documented in terms of the world anti-doping rules and the regulations we have to follow. You know, that's talking about why the case lasted so long. But, you know, this isn't a world sport. This isn't a professional sport. And and look, I get it. Of course, you have to have regulations and things. have You have to make sure there is no doping. But, you know, there's got to be a bit of a nuance here. We've got to make sure that if there's a guilty, you know, if there's a doping case or something like that, that the GA are front, uh, bring it to us rather than us finding out and frame it in the right context. This guy was innocently found guilty, if if you understand the paradox yeah, there. Yeah, he, he tested positive, but it was an accident, yeah. a total accident. Because when the story is scooped, you know, as the Sunday Independent did, it's out of control then yeah. and everyone reacts. What did you make of the reaction that... GA players shouldn't be subject to the same doping rules as professional athletes. I have to say, that kind of turns my stomach a bit. I do get what you're saying, but there's a lot of athletes out there who aren't in the GA and who are in sports that have a professional element, but they themselves aren't professional. A lot of Ireland's Olympians, for example, are subjected to really strict uh, doping rules. And unlike the GA players, they have testers coming to their house. And I can't remember which athlete it was, but she said that her family has been woken up at half six in the morning by dopers calling or not dopers sorry <laughs> dope testers calling yeah. and, uh, and they, they just, have, they just <laughs> she just has to get on with it she just has to do it because it's, it's part of what she does now that to me seems you know unfair if, if that person is an amateur or not getting paid a whole pile there's a lot of athletes in that kind of in that bracket who aren't technically in amateur sports or aren't technically in professional sports I beg your pardon but they have to Live by this code. Yeah, I think we're, we're probably in along the same lines here in that I think the anti-doping has to be there and it's got to be pretty strict. And, you know, like there is money at play here as well in the GEA because the more successful you are, the better player you are, the more commercial opportunities open. So, I mean, the temptation is probably there. So, you know, because like think of the, the most famous GEA players in Ireland, yeah. how often they show up at a media gig and probably get paid 500, if not 1,000, and maybe more. The TV ads, we've yeah. heard exorbitant figures for TV ads for GEA players. Like, I, I, I agree that 100% you need strict anti-doping. My issue, and, and I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, is should the GEA, once they find out that a player has to serve a ban, come out with it straight away and paint it, if it's an innocent case, paint it in the best possible light so mm. that the player isn't put through this media storm. And interestingly enough, CEO of Sport Ireland, John Tracy, said on Off The Ball that he wouldn't have named Brendan O'Sullivan because it's 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 not done yet. And Aidan O'Mahony has had an issue in the past where he was very wrongly um, the subject of an investigation. And you were nearly made to feel like a guilty party before you're found guilty or before you're found innocent or before the findings are, are found. Yeah. And it's 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 very tough on these guys. Yeah, I, I did a column, or a ghost wrote a column for Aidan O'Mahony this week and you can find it online. Um, he was just saying that he found out about, he woke up to 98 missed calls, 60 messages. He said he went down to Limerick with a few of his friends and he saw up on the TV screen breaking news, Kerry uh, player fails drug test. And he said on day one, he was able to tell them that, you know, once he heard of salbutamol and somebody told him, geez, that's in inhalers. And he's been an asthmatic since he was eight. He was able to go straight in and say, look, this is the issue. But they dragged it on for six months and I believe it cost 30,000. Wow. The case. So, 
you know, there's, I, it's just a really difficult situation for a player, and I just think it needs to be dealt with a lot quicker. Yeah. And the player put in the best possible light if they are innocent of actual wrongdoing intention. You know. Now, obviously, on the Off the Ball GA podcast, by and large, we talk about senior championship fixtures and stories that relate to senior players senior squads and the big games but tell us more about this coming to Munskull story from Leash yeah so I'll just give you the very latest on it so the chairperson of the Leash coming to Munskull Monica Kendi Phelan has stepped down from the role with immediate effect she offered her resignation at an EGM uh, held yesterday and it's been accepted by the board so the circumstances were um, that the school where she's principal Castletown National School they fielded players from their A team in a Division 8 final last Thursday and uh, a team where you know their B, B players should have been there and they obviously would have been a lot weaker so Castletown won the game by 9 points and uh, Miss Kennedy Phelan claimed the school fielded their A players on health and safety grounds so the school was subjected to heavy criticism and while it emerged no rules were technically breached they were condemned for violating what were the ethics and value of coming to Munskull. It just wasn't a nice thing to do. And by the way, this is no reflection on the kids. I want to make a very, 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 very. I want to make a very clear point on that. It, it just, it just, it was kind of mean spirited of them to to do that. Yeah. Well, look, it's a platform to encourage grassroots, you know, in the yeah. GA, and like we're talking about a school principal doing this. You know, she's actively overseen yeah. or you know had prior knowledge. And to be fair, she has resigned. Yeah, and it was a premeditated plan to give an unfair advantage to to a team, you know that that had been involved in a much higher division. I mean, those players. So it just goes against the whole purpose of the organisation, which is to promote participation, sportsmanship, respect. Yep. You know, it just it really, really leaves a bad taste in your mouth, and you'd lo- you'd love to make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen again because young players should be given every chance. You know, a lot of time people give out about 15-a-side games because, you know, some of the weaker players, they're stuck in the corners and they're not really kind of... That was of, me. Yeah, that was, no, that was always you, me growing up. You. But <laughs> Still is. You know, it's that's kind of even deemed unfair. Yeah. But to then, you know, do okay on the team you're on and then all of a sudden you're booted out for someone who's a bit better, especially in these sort of yeah. uh, terms where... They where were, it's supposed they, to be about participation and fun. Yeah, it is. And... Uh, you know, the local paper, the Leinster Express, did a piece on it and they were going up looking for the teams uh, ju- just to have all the f- uh, facts and figures correct for after the game and they weren't given the correct team. I mean, it just stinks so badly and you want to make sure kids get every chance to play and yep. this this is just so against the spirit of it. Well, look, hopefully lessons learned from that now. Did Cork learn lessons from their near miss against Waterford? A one-point win in Dungarvan last Saturday night. They go on to meet Tipperary in the Munster Senior Football Championship semi-final. Do you know, I mean, Cork have no right to be expecting to beat anybody anymore, I suppose. And Barry O'Driscoll, they're, uh, they're, um, one of their good players, he, he was saying that to me recently. But really and truly, they want to be beating Waterford and want to be beating them well. But uh, I, I saw a good point made online that someone said perhaps they've tailored their training for the Tipperary match, that they did look past Waterford because... Really and truly, they should be beating them by a point a man. And that they're just training, you know, that periodization training and timing it mm. for the Tipperary game. Perhaps that's it. That's believable, but they have struggled for a couple of years now. They've yeah. been very, very average for a couple of years now. And Tomas O'Shea and Rory Kavanagh spoke about this on the Sunday game last Sunday night. And O'Shea says, he wrote an article about this two years ago. He said that the leadership isn't good enough. Maybe it's a management issue. Maybe it's the fact that a lot of leaders on the pitch have disappeared. But either way, it's not good. And Rory Kavanagh said when they played Cork last year, he couldn't believe how 
and I'm not quoting him exactly here, I'm kind of paraphrasing, how tactically naive, I think is that yeah. a fair way to say it, mm-hmm. how tactically naive they were. Uh, that's something I spoke to Owen Cadigan about at the launch of Ayr's partnership with the GA for the Senior Football Championship during the week. Um, Owen didn't get to see the Sunday game, but I put the crux of what was said to him and look for his reaction. He's out injured at the moment, but obviously he's still around the panel and he is hoping to be back for the game against Tip. In relation to Moss, like Tomas is living in Cork with years, he's playing with a Cork club, like he's someone that, you know, he lives locally, so he's someone I see quite a bit, like, and someone I have huge respect for as a pundit, because as you said, anything he said previously or whatever, he calls it as it is, and it's not sensationalised, it's actually analysis of the game. I was driving up to Dublin last night, I didn't see it, yeah. you're after kind of telling me what he said, but... Yeah. The bottom line is, and Tomas or any other pundit or Rory or whoever the case may be. He said it was pretty much exactly the same as he wrote a couple of years ago in The Independent. Yeah, like, you have to remember too that the dynamic of the team hasn't changed a whole pile in that in that phase yeah. from two years ago. Yes, we can control our performance and things like that, but um, I suppose either of those two lads, for example, aren't long out of being involved in inter-county setups. Um, and, you know, opinions, I respect the likes of Tomas and Rory Cavan or whatever, their opinion is their opinion. Um, we can't control that. We can't control external. Could you imagine, do you think there's one person today that's going to say anything positive about Cork today? No. Cork's promise? No. no. So, like, you know, I expect that coming up here today. I knew that was coming, but I'm still going into training Tuesday night, getting ready for a Munster semi-final. And that's all fair enough. That is Owen Cadigan, the Cork footballer, who missed the game against Waterford through injury. He's hoping to be back for the game against Tipperary. He didn't see the Sunday game, so he was kind of reacting to my paraphrasing of what O'Shea and Kavanagh said. But I actually think his response was fair enough there. Of course, he's not going to hang his own management out to dry. But you can understand his reaction. Of course. And it is interesting that he, he has said during the week that he's never felt the love as a Cork footballer. And that's probably that probably does feed into it. If you if you show up into a field and the place is going nuts for you, you're going to lift your, your performance level for it. Mm. Now, in terms of what they have on uh, on the field, they've still got some excellent uh, players. You know, like some Mark Collins, John O'Rourke, Colin O'Neill, Paul Kerrigan. There's no way they should be struggling to beat Watford, who, of course, have a few good players themselves. But their manager, Tom McGlinchey, spoke about how they had only three weeks, really, to prepare for the game because so many of their players play senior club hurling in the county. So... I don't know, this could be the perfect ambush for Tipperary. Just because Tipperary beat them last year, it doesn't mean that Tipperary will again beat them this year. It could be what I'm just saying about the periodisation of training. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a massive bounce out of them physically for that game. This is Off The Ball's GAA podcast. GAA on News Talk with Board Gosh Energy. Bringing customers to the core of the action BGE Rewards. Dot IE. Now this Sunday afternoon Gizzy Ling will be watching four off the ball as Clare take on Limerick and Semple Stadium it throws in at four o'clock. Clare have won only 18 of the previous 54 meetings with Limerick. There has been some magical moments when these two have met over the year and I guess there was no more magical than this one in 1996. Kieran Carey, how do you feel when you listen to that clip? I haven't heard it. <laughs> I haven't heard it in a while, now, Shane. And uh, you know, yeah. Listen, I suppose 
I suppose I didn't realise the enormity of it at the time. It's only uh, in time and maturity you can look back and say, yeah, it was kind of a special day, all right? It was a special win for Limerick. So, yeah, it's nice nice to hear from time to time, OK? Run us through how you see it in your mind's eye to this day. I, I suppose uh, when the ball went over the bar, really, I have a lot more memory of getting from that po- that position uh, back out to middle of the field, really, because I knew... Uh, you know, okay, the ball has gone dead, and uh, the quicker I got out in the middle of the field to make sure that the puck out didn't go through or possibly win it again, that one I can remember well. Uh, the actual incident, really, uh, you know, I won possession, and uh, I suppose if I was to be honest, I thought I'd be taken out, uh, floored uh, for a free, and possibly might give us an opportunity. Uh, but as I further went up the field, uh, the space opened up and, and you know I could sense there was an open and I kept going and going and you know I, I, I had gone so far you know the opportunity at that stage in had presented itself and uh, I suppose I wouldn't have been uh, known as a, an extremely strong striker from the right hand side so uh, that, that put a few of them quiet as well And do you remember thinking at the time okay I'm just going to go for this like it's a split second decision Oh, I did, but sure, the, the game was in the melting pot at that particular stage. And, uh, you know, I, as I said, you know, I didn't know when I caught the ball what, what was going to be the end product. Uh, so I'd be telling a lie if I did. I knew exactly what I was going to do. But as I said, you know, the, the, way, the way it opened up for me in the back off, and I suppose like any good defenders, you know, at that late stage in the game, yeah. you're not going to give, a, give away a cheap free and give Gary Kirby the opportunity to win the game, from, as I said, from a handy cheap free. So obviously that was playing and declare defence. And as it was, you know, the closer and the closer I was getting to goal. And as I said, you know, I could sense, I could sense there was a big gap, and it opened up for me. And I just kind of jinked from the left to the drop the left shoulder, went into the right. Just as, uh, you know, thankfully for me, just went over the bar. And I guess people love that moment, and they love that era because guys hurled off the cuff, whereas maybe now people think it's a bit robotic. Yes, we have great players, and uh, maybe the style is evolving again. But back then, it was just a straight shootout. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. There would have been a certain amount of tactics, all right, but I suppose uh, it wouldn't have been as uh, scientific and as mathematical as it is now. Uh, you know, whether it is a good thing or a bad thing, that's up for debate. But definitely the game is evolving all the time. And, uh, yeah, definitely there's huge change in, in, in the game of hurling, tactically now compared to what it was back then. And uh, sometimes, the, you know, I wonder, are you preventing players from maximising their potential? In the modern game, what I mean by that is probably restricting the rawness of their natural ability from time to time, you know, because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's what a player wants to go out, is to fulfil his potential to the highest and to ignite any time he goes out in the field. But if we're going to be kind of half-programmed in around the areas of 5 to 10 or possibly 4 to 7, that's definitely going to restrict restrict players. It seems now that on teams, certain players are given the licence to hurl off the cuff, the likes of Austin Gleeson and maybe even your own nephew, Keen Lynch. Do you think you'd like to hurl in this era now? Do you think you'd like to play as it is? Uh, yeah, I would actually, yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough, I played uh, to tail in the 80s, I was there in the 90s, and I was there for the 2000s. And uh, yeah, this this particular area is exciting because it's uh, extremely quick. Uh, there's a lot of imagination there, but you know, you know, the main basics of the game of hurling hasn't changed. You still have to pick your best players within your county. Uh, you still have to have a love for the game. You still need to be seriously committed. You still want to be uh, the best that you can possibly can be. So mentally, a lot of the stuff is still the same. But uh, I suppose. 
uh, the way the game is going, the way it's kind of uh, the way especially it's evolving from five to ten in around that area and trying to draw players out. Uh, that's definitely, obviously, a huge change in the game compared to the 90s. Kieran, I'm trying to balance up my expectations for the game. On one hand, you have like clearer favourites. They have the likes of Conor McGrath, who's going to be back. Uh, Shane O'Donnell is fit again. Shanahar, Podge Collins, you know, Tony Kelly and, and so on. But then again, like Clare have only won one game, I think, in the last nine years in Munster, whereas Limerick beat Tip in 2014 and 2015. You know, Clare haven't even beaten Tip in the championship since 2003. So where do you see this going? Like, Clare do go in as favourites. Do you think that's right? Yeah, I'd say without a doubt, probably Clare would still go in as favourites. And funny enough, after you, after you pinpointed the statistics that you rightly pointed out, uh, you know, I suppose Clare, Clare to me really haven't pushed on since they won the last All-Ireland. Uh, you know, there was serious uh, speculation around that time thereafter winning a few 21s at that particular time. And, uh, you know, even the All-Ireland that they won, really, if you think back, it kind of was a flip, a flip of a kind. It could have went to Cork very easy as it went to Clare. So I, I haven't seen Clare turned around from that. But what I have seen in Clare, they definitely have uh, a lot of uh, good, skillful players. And the brand and the pattern of hurling that are, they are playing, uh, touch one hand to they have it off to a tee. Uh, it's a game that Limerick is trying to play and they're working on it. And, uh, you know, I just would question, have we enough equality to play that type of game that Clare are playing? So both teams will actually, you know, I'd say will play similar styles this Sunday. Yeah, the most recent game that Limerick had was the league semi-final against Galway. And I'll kind of pick at a couple of scabs from that game that I saw. I thought that the half-back line, now Dermot Burns, who you'll obviously know very well, uh, is out as far as I know. Declan Hannon was centre-back, Seamus Hickey was there, and... Uh, um, Gavin O'Mahony came in I don't think that half back line is particularly physical uh, compared with some of the best half back lines I think in midfield it's probably not as strong as when Paul Brown and uh, James Ryan were, were flying a couple of years ago in the forward line I felt that Barry Nash who wasn't on the panel at, at certain stages this year he was the only one who had added a bit of life to the forward line when he came in so everywhere I look it seems to be issues on this Limerick team yeah, well, and they haven't uh, they haven't announced their team yet, and I believe they're announcing it tomorrow night. So I'm actually keeping my own cards close to my chest before I give my opinion right, because right. I, I want to see what is going out manifesting in front of me, meaning one to fifteen, so I can give an accurate call. On it. But uh, you're right, what you rightly said, you rightly pointed out the weakness. I was at that game myself, and uh, yeah, Limerick's league campaign was up and down, really. I suppose. Uh, their their big tests really their big exam really would have been the first game against Wexford. Uh, the next one would have been uh, Galway, and who was the third? I think uh, Galway again. I think, yeah. And you know there were three massive games, and uh, you know unfortunately they came up with short in each of the three games. But like the only thing, uh, what I would see in Sunday, right? Okay, Clare have a new management team. Limerick have a new management team. Uh, I don't know the dynamics, what way it has gone down in Clare, meaning uh, giant managership. So I don't know how that has kind of manifested itself down in Clare. Has it, uh, is it doing what it's supposed to do? And whereas Limerick, they have a new management team as well. So, you know, it's, it's 
going to be very interesting to call and I believe whoever will get that side of it right on the line will be able to a very good chance. Yeah, it kind of feels to me as if Limerick need to, to identify the weaknesses in that Clare defence and maybe try something different. Now, I look at Keane Dillon. This year, normally he's a sweeper for Clare. This year he hasn't been. I remember a couple of games, possibly against Dublin, he was under so much pressure. I think he lost his hurley four times during the game, which and it was sprinting backwards, which suggests he's under pressure. And I'd be thinking, if Limerick could isolate your nephew Keane Lynch inside on him, that might be an opportunity for a couple of goals because this is Clare's first championship without a sweeper in a long time and that's the opportunity as far as I see it. Yeah, without a doubt, but not only that, there's, there's a, a massive amount of stake. You know, it isn't the quarterfinal, it's the semi-final and uh, whoever wins Sunday is catapulted straight into the Munster final. What a chance to win a Munster medal. So there's massive incentive there. Uh, in relation to the sweeper, I don't know what way Clare are going to come out. Uh, I, would give, I would give Limerick a, with a very good chance, provided uh, they, have, they go down the road in uh, the six forwards that they're scoring forwards. You mentioned Barry Nash. Any time I see him in the league, to me, he looks very good. He's a very skillful player, and uh, he's a great pair of wheels, and uh, any forward needs that in the modern game, and he's, he's good imagination. So, you know, definitely he'll be taking a bit of watching. Uh, Keane Lynch, irrespective of corner forward or centre forward, or, where he's going to be playing, I'd imagine probably centre forward. They might probably play him ten and a half, eight and a half in around that area, and uh, he'll, pre- he'll be probably given a free rein to probably pull one of the corner forwards out. He'll probably go down that road, try to, as you rightly pointed out, try to exploit Clare's defence. Yeah, I saw an interesting quote from Chairman Oliver Mann, uh, and it kind of reminded me of the way Donald Trump talked about a America for the Americans, he was kind of Limerick for the Limerick people. He goes, we've craved that the Limerick senior hurling team would be managed by Limerick people. We now have that and they're not token Limerick people, they're Limerick people with credentials of winning at the highest level. Obviously referring to John Kiley. I know you've had John Allen in the past, Donald O'Grady. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I'll be honest with you, uh, I, I think it's the road to go down. Uh, you know, just look at Michael Ryan there last year with Tipperary and uh, prior to that you'd Liam Sheedy, prior to that you'd Nicholas English. So yeah, yeah I, I believe uh, there's plenty of quality in most counties for these guys to go on and manage their, their own county county team. So I, I'd be proud of that myself personally. And Kieran, we had Peter Casey on News Talk Breakfast this morning and he said, look, we want the fans to get behind us. We're working hard, but we need them to be patient, patient because there's quite a lot of youth in this squad regardless of how this year goes would you hope that people will be patient with John Kiley and the squad uh, I would hope to be patient yeah of course it has to be patient but at the end of the day when you're involved in uh, the managerial game or the coaching game at, at that level at inter-county level unfortunately it's a, a results driven mm-hmm. game and you are going to be judged on what you have achieved with a particular team have you improved them have they got better how did you do in the league? How far did you yeah. go in the championship? That's the bottom line. Like That's the way that will be judged inevitably. And, uh, you know, OK, it's a young squad, uh, but if they're young enough and they're picked, they're obviously good enough. So, you know, patience, all right, yeah, but, you know, Limerick need to be, Limerick need to be making, uh, Limerick need to be making a, a huge, uh, uh, a huge mark Sunday, I believe. Yeah, is it tough on any Limerick manager, no matter who it is? Because I remember last year after Limerick beat Dublin in a quarter-final, TJ Ryan spoke about vultures circling and guys waiting to have a go? Uh, I wouldn't think so, really. I wouldn't think so. You know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, the beauty about the game of hurling, uh, irrespective of what team you put out or what level you're out, uh, it, it always tells the truth. And likewise, I've experienced myself uh, from uh, being on the line and as, as a managerial role. That also tells the truth. So you need to be on the top of the game and every, each side reflects each other. 
But I believe uh, if the work is done, uh, you know, you will see it on a consistent basis. You won't see one good game out of four and five. So where I really need uh, to see Limerick where need to go is uh, without just giving one good game out of three, one good game out of four or five, yeah. they have to be consistent on a regular basis. And uh, that just doesn't happen because you say it. Obviously, uh, that happens within the camp, within the management team, within the squad itself. And it doesn't happen overnight, I accept that. But, yeah. uh, you know, when you come in fresh as a manager, uh, you do exactly what David Fitzgerald did in Wexford. I believe any manager worth his salt who has uh, the ability through that, that's the response you get from a team. Now, interestingly, Paul Kinnerk is working with Limerick, having previously worked with Clare so he knows a lot of these players inside and out Jerry O'Connor the joint manager of Clare was asked by Derek Lynch of Clare FM if he feels that that gives Limerick a bit of, a bit of an advantage of course it is absolutely we, we'd love to have somebody with an in-depth knowledge of the Limerick team on our side but ultimately that's the challenge uh, because we can only focus on what we can control and what we can control is the training that we've been doing for the last number of months the game plan and the style of play that we're going to develop between now and the 4th of June and ultimately those guys I, I, we feel Donald and myself are really really going in the right direction they, they've uh, completely embraced uh, the, the style and the ethos that we've asked them to develop and we're expecting them to deliver as I said a top class performance on the 4th of June Jerry O'Connor speaking to Claire FM about the advantage maybe that having Paul Kinnerk involved with Limerick gives them. Do you think that that is an advantage, Kieran? Uh, I wouldn't say it really is an advantage. Uh, obviously, you know, as the Clare players, but, you know, and the one thing that hasn't changed, you know, uh, if, you're, you're, if you're preparing a squad mentally and physically and the coaching aspect, you know, you're going to get the best from the squad. Uh, you're not going to hum in too much in the opposition because if you do that, you're kind of showing fear straight away. Okay, there might be one or two things, but... Uh, I, I think you're showing a bit of weakness when you do that, uh, when you're kind of on about the opposition, because, you know, you need to bring your A game to the table, you need to stamp your authority, and uh, focusing on the opposition, focusing focus on one or two or three players in the opposition uh, isn't going through that. So, you know, you need yeah. to come with your own, you need to come with your own game plan, and uh, you need to kind of put that into place fairly early and keep it consistent. And just before we let you go, uh, two questions in one. What will be a good year for Limerick and what's your prediction for Sunday? Uh, a good year for Limerick uh, would be contesting uh, the semi-final year in Ireland. Uh, Sunday's game, as I said, I'm kind of keeping my cards close to my, my chest because I haven't yeah. seen, genuinely, I haven't seen the team that yep. Limerick are putting out. Uh, but if it has anything uh, that's in my head, uh, I would give him. Uh, I would give him more than a fifty-fifty chance. Okay, Kieran Kerry, formerly of Limerick. Thank you very much for joining us on Off the Balls GAA podcast. Enjoy Thurlis this Sunday. Okay, O'Shane. Thanks very much. Mind yourself. Bye. I find the Paul Kinnock situation very interesting because, you know, he was with. Uh, he knows the methods of Donal and Jerry because he was there with them with the under twenty ones as well when they won those All Irelands. So. Even in a wider sense, you look elsewhere, Michael Donoghue was with Tipperary for a couple of years and then he moves over and takes over Galway outright and he's played a couple of times against Tipperary. They narrowly lost out in the All-Ireland semi-final 2016, pushed Tip all the way, really upset them physically and then bullied them in the 2017 league final as well. So he's very much been able to use that and you often hear about like if someone's been in the camp and then they come out and talk about what they did in there, 
you know, there's talk of breaking the dressing room code. And then I wonder in some ways, you know, and obviously Michael Donoghue's pursuing his own ambitions here, but Tipperary have struggled since against him. And I always wonder, in some strange ways, he breaking that dressing room code because he'll have insider knowledge. I don't think it. he is. Uh, he was part of the backroom setup. I remember actually the first couple of times I saw him, I thought to myself, that guy looks familiar. And he was very much the, the silent partner. He never really spoke to the press. They never really made a big deal of the fact that he was there, but he was very much there and he had a bigger role than people knew about. But the thing about management is is the nature of it is that you will move on. That as a coach, you won't be with the same team forever unless you're someone like Brian Cody. And that, that is an exception. So I don't think... That's betraying the dressing room. Interestingly... Well, I don't know if I'm necessarily saying he's betraying the dressing room because he's dead right to go on and use it. And that's just... That's life, is, is actually what the answer is. That's life. I just It's just a funny little thing that's come to mind that yeah. is that sort of, you know, he would have had this loyalty towards the Tipperary players yeah. and then he's actually using it against them. And it sounds like I'm criticising him. I'm actually not. And of course he's right to do What it. you're saying is, is that it's definitely an advantage and to say it's not is ridiculous. And in fairness to Jerry O'Connor... He acknowledged that it is an advantage, although Kieran, as we heard there, said, ah, go away out of that. Yeah, well. Uh, Alan Brogan, I read quotes from him during the week. He says the reason he never did a book is because he didn't want to betray the dressing room knowledge. He said that he looks at the team that his dad played with and they still play golf in Portugal and get together a lot. And he said if he wrote an honest book, he said he could easily write uh, a book of bullshit and give you nothing. But he said he doesn't want to do that, which I really admire. So he he won't write any book because he doesn't want to portray what went on. I th- I found it interesting then mm-hmm. that Brian Cody actually did write a book because he tells you, tells you nothing in it. You might as well have put together his interviews for the last 19 years and just transcribed them and there was the book more or less. The one really interesting part of that book I found was after the 2005 All-Ireland semi-final they lost to Galway and he said in his head he was thinking about uh, jacking it in at that stage but a couple of players came over to him outside the bus and sort of uh, you know said to made him feel like he should come back again and he wouldn't even name those players I think even the term was out of respect to those players he wouldn't name them but you know what would be negative about saying these are the players who nodded me in the right direction and I've stayed on and we've done brilliantly you know that would actually be in praise of those players I thought that was strange Funnily enough the same thing happened with Mickey Hart I don't think necessarily at senior level I think it was underage level players said to him no stay on he did and then he went on to do what he's done with the seniors three All-Ireland titles I should clarify my point by the way Alan Brogan was talking about his dad he said that had he released a book or told stories of the dressing room you know unveiled negatives that happened or even positives but ones that no one knew about He's not sure they'd still have the close relationship that they have. Mm. So, um, yeah, fair play to him. He's, you know, he was honest about why he doesn't want to do a book or do a book for the sake of it. Right, in football this weekend, down taking on Armagh in the Ulster quarterfinal. This one throws in at two o'clock in Park Esler. It's a TV game, so I hope it's a good game. But the form of these two counties suggests it might be a bit dour. Yeah, like down have won three of their last 20 league and championship games. Uh the vibes aren't good there. We had Danny Hughes on off the ball earlier this year, just basically suggesting the whole thing is a mess. How few players there are still around from getting to the All-Ireland Final in 2010. Um, Armagh finished third in Division 3, so they were actually, and will continue for 2018, to be in a division below down, who finished sixth in Division 2. McGinney's in his third year with uh, Armagh, and his first season, they came pretty close to a quarter-final. Remember, they lost out narrowly to Donegal. 
it is about time they made some strides here. Actually, that was Paul Grimley's final year, actually. Not, um, but McGeaney was still Yeah, Geezer was very much front and centre. Yeah, so it feels like an, uh, he'll have Jamie Clark, and that's a huge one to have him back this year. But uh, it's time they made some strides, and I would fancy them for this game, but um, I thought they'd be a lot further down the road by now. Other football this weekend includes the Leinster Championship clash of Meath against Louth, that one in Parnell Park on Sunday at 3 o'clock. Andy McEntee is the Royals manager. He's been talking to the GAA.ie website about what he wants from his team. We'd like to bring a, a work ethic and, a, and, a, and an honest uh, sort of a performance that, that, you know, the sort of performances that we've been bringing towards the end of the league. Uh, certainly not the finished article, but, I mean, the attitude of the players was good and if, if we can continue in that vein, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be reasonably happy. Yeah, me. They're you know they've got a manager that's won in a club all Ireland with Andy McEntee, so it's something that they surely feel they can buy into. Things slowly sort of felt like they unravelled under Mick O'Dowd. I, I thought that was going to be a strong appointment, and they'd be pushing on too. Hasn't really happened. Now they they were unlucky not to get promotion up to Division One. They lost a couple of games by narrow margins last year, and I just thought there was just a little bit of something missing. I think Mick O'Dowd did a lot of fine work, but I think Andy McEntee is very much the man to bring this squad forward. Yeah, but inconsistency is the problem for them. I spoke with um, goalkeeper Paddy Rourke a few weeks back and he was talking about one good performance wasn't backed up by another, you know, going to down and losing there when we all know how much down have struggled. You know, there should be a little bit of poison and needle in this game because for we'll come on to Leash and Kildare later on about their rivalry. But there's a lot of bitterness locally between these two counties, even though the rest of the country is more or less... Has there been any controversial incidents between them over the last couple of years? Uh, there's been one or two, I think. Yeah. Maybe 2010 produced okay. a little something. What happened there? What happened there? Uh, sure, look. I think that's been swept <laughs> under the carpet by now. But, um, you know, Lau got to the Division 3 final, lost to Tipperary, but they've shown good signs this year. Colin Kelly really looked like a man who, in his first year, I think it was 2015, he looked like, I remember they lost the game to Westmead in a qualifier, and he looked completely perplexed and as if they had so much to do but at least they're finally making some strides they've got some fine players I saw them a couple of times during the league they um, they really move the ball quickly and well yeah. off the shoulder the they're, they're quite Ryan, impressive the likes of uh, Ryan Burns and Park Smith in the forward line really impressive players and at the same time Anthony Williams very handy as well yeah yeah but at the, at the same time Meads seem to have a deeper panel Maybe they haven't uh, set the world alight in the last couple of years, but they do seem to be stronger. And Louth have actually named an unchanged side from the one that beat Wicklow, while Meath, according to the Meath Chronicle, have sprung a few surprises. Dunboyne's Ronan Jones is the surprise inclusion on the Meath team for Sunday's clash with Louth. Jones, whose only other appearance for the seniors was as a 52nd minute replacement for Andy Tormey during, Tormey, I beg your pardon, during last year's Leinster semi-final loss to Dublin, will start a competitive match for the seniors for the first time after an impressive couple of performances in recent weeks. The Dunboyne midfielder will replace James Toher as the trim man continues to recover from a torn calf muscle that limited his training in the weeks after the league. Brian Power is the only other major absentee with injury ruling out the Ratholt man. Dunboyne's Shane McEntee will be the only debutant for Sunday's game. Uh, his father Andy sticks with the majority of the side that impressed in the latter stages of the league. No Joe Sheridan in goal. Remember, he uh, returned to the panel this year, but as a goalkeeper. Now, of course, that's not the only big Leinster Football Championship clash this weekend. A little bit later on, we'll hear from former Leash player Peter O'Leary. He talks to us about why Kildare are Leash's biggest rivals. Before that, though, on Saturday night in Port Leash, Carlo taking on Dublin. The question is, what do Carlo hope to get out of this game? They will be beaten and they could be beaten 
by quite a distance. Willie Quinlan soldiered for many years for Carlo and also his club Era Oak with whom he won five provincial titles. He's now a analyst and co-commentator for KCLR Radio but that's only when he can get a word in. Brendan Hennessy is the commentator and as you'll be able to hear here he got quite excited when Carlo registered a big win against Wexford in the first round a couple of weeks ago. Brendan Murphy the hero on the day. This has been unbelievable stuff. This has been unbelievable. Murphy has bursted the net out of it. He's unbelievable to all his critics. You're giving unbelievable. Say more. He gets a lot of stick to that. And Carlo will have to give it away stupid free now. This this has been some performance by Carlo. And look at Porters calling down all the team, the subs and all. Get out here, lads. Yeah, Let's enjoy here. this yeah. one. Yeah. I'll go down and enjoy it too. I think I'm covering Carlo football matches 25, 26, 22 years I'm doing the radio. And I've never enjoyed one like this. And we've had some great ones. Back to the goalkeeper, Craig. Yes! Carlo won the match. And the feeder Wexford. Well done, Carlo O'Brien. Well done, Carlo. Well done, the backroom team. 217 to 213. They'll enjoy this one from from Asker to Adelaide. Oh, they will indeed. And from Ballon to Bangkok. What a performance from Carlo. Well done to each and every one of them. And the other voice you heard in there was Willie Quinlan, who joins us now. Willie, I've just been in contact with NASA. They have told me that Brendan Hennessy has finally returned from orbit. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he was still gone. Oh, Sheen, yeah, he got very excited, I suppose. It has been a while, I think about six or seven years in, in Omar Park. Uh, the last championship win was against Loud, and I, I don't think he was on that day. I was on that day myself. I got a little bit excited with Brendan Murphy again, kicking the kicking the winner of the final point. So uh, it was brilliant. Last Sunday, or last Sunday week was, was brilliant. There was plenty of support there for them, and even after it was fantastic, the amount of supporters came onto the pitch, which which is great to see. You know, it's not often you see Carlo footballers taking selfies and, and, and autographs and the whole job, so... I'm sure. I'm sure they're really looking forward to, to Saturday evening. A lot of hard work went into the performance and the win because Carlo had a pretty decent league campaign under Turlock O'Brien this year and last year. Even though it didn't go ideally for them, the results were poor. He put in a lot of groundwork. So this this victory didn't just kind of come out of nowhere. It wasn't a one off. No, definitely. In the last eighteen months or two years, there's a lot of work after going in there. Turlo and the lads and Stephen Porter coming on coming on board. The league was they were very unlucky in the league. Great a great draw they got in Mullingar their first game and we thought coming over that the last game against Wexford would be the decider to which team would, would probably go up. But unfortunately the London game kinda of caught them whether they underestimated London or one team took took the foot off the gas but um the they lost by three or four points. We're losing by ten points at half time in that particular game. Changed the game their game plan at half time. Definitely won the second half and, and they've been playing very well since. Um, I, th- I suppose the big thing is lots of players this year, you know, other years you'd be saying if we had this lad, if we had that lad. I think at the most, there's two or three players that we could have possibly to, to fulfil a full team. Which in other years you'd be missing eight or nine and you'd be making all sorts of excuses. So, you know, it definitely it has been progress over the last the last two years. And, you know, Saturday night, I suppose, is about a big performance, really, is what they're looking for. And there's, there's no one expecting them to do anything against Dublin. Dublin are All-Ireland champions and, you know, league champions. And, well, they're, they're beaten in the league this year, but previous to that, they won three or four in a row. So they're, they're probably the best Dublin team we've seen around. So if Carlo can, can give us a good performance and push on into the qualifiers and, and do something there, it, it'd be a great year for Carlo, I would wouldn't reckon. And Carlo was one of those curious counties, and you're aware yourself that I lived. I was, I was going to say he lived in Carlo. I didn't. I lived in Great Cullen, which is over the border, but kind of part of Carlo town. But I think anyone who knows the area knows the point I'm making. You've always had 
a great club structure. You've always had great club players, but for some reason they found it hard to do it at county level. It's just it, a quirk of GA. Can you tell me what Turlow O'Brien has done that other managers in the past haven't? And you've had some big names. Liam Hayes, Luke Dempsey, Anthony Rainbow. They've all had a crack. They've all found it tough. But Turlow seems to be getting something out of it that they didn't. Yeah, the difference is, I suppose, Turlow O'Brien is, is uh, he's a true Carlo man himself. And he's so organised in, in what he's doing. And he's getting in. He's obviously his man management seems to be very good because, as I said just just a second ago, everybody bar two players in my head that I that I could think of are, are definitely in on the panel, and uh, you know the work that he's done obviously with the clubs. Now I, I suppose the club the club scene has been you know relatively understrength in the last couple of years because we haven't really got out got a, a run in Leinster in I suppose seven or eight years. We've been beating the club team. We've been in the first round, I suppose, eight, seven or eight years. So, from that point of view, the clubs are not going as well as as they have been going. But the county team seems to be, whether it's benefit from it, but it, every club seems to be behind the, the county board and behind uh, Turl O'Brien and his crew at the moment. Willie, it's the first time that Carlo have met Dublin in the championship since before you made your own debut. It was back in 1988 when when they last met, and there's 26 places in between the teams in the league uh, standings. But I suppose a plus point would perhaps be a number of years ago, maybe six years ago, when Jim Gavin was over the under-21s. Uh, Carlo pushed that team to within a point, and there'll be a lot of survivors for both teams. So what are the positives that you'd look at heading into the game? I mean, no one expects Carlo to come within an ass's roar. Yeah, I suppose the positives are that the guys that, that were there, you know, seeing that there's lots of guys on, on the Dublin panel that, that would have been the same at Knutra Tem. You know, and they'll be, they'll be saying, well, you know, we got him, got him, we didn't appoint him that time. And could we possibly, you know, push on and get, get close this time? But the only, the big difference is, look what Dublin have done since. I mean, they're, they're dominating football, you know, for the, for the last seven or eight years, both league and, and inter-county. And this Dublin team, you know, I mean, Carlo are in Division 4, Dublin Division 1. The Division 1 teams are finding it difficult to beat Dublin at the, at the moment. All right, Kerry beat them in the league, but I think it's going, to, it's going to take a good team to beat Dublin in the All-Ireland Series this year. So, from that point of view, there's a huge cap, and I suppose, you know, money has a, has a huge bearing on it. You know, the, the, the finances that Dublin have and the finances that, that Carlo would have would, would be huge. And then again, the population. I mean, the, the, amount, the amount of footballers that they would have in, in Dublin alone Compared to what Carlo have, we have probably we've eight, eight senior senior teams uh, alone. You know, look how many Dublin have in the population, and everything. So it, there's a, there's a huge gap in both football, both finance, and about I suppose development on the ground in Dublin compared to what it be in Carlo. But but look at them. You know, it's great for these guys to, to get their their day in the sun. They're really looking forward to to playing against Dublin. They're playing against the best, and you know, hopefully at the end of the day they'll be coming out with with a smile on their face, and we we will be as well. In terms of the gap, would you look at clubs like St. Vincent's, um, <coughs> Bally Bowden, Kilmacud, Croaks and these and think they would probably beat most or a lot of the teams in Division 3 and Division 4 of the Championship. Do you think that there's like that kind of uh, highlights the chasm between the top and the bottom more than anything else? Yeah, it definitely does. And, and also, if you look at, if you look at how, many, how many players off other counties would make the Dublin team or the Dublin panel at the moment, I don't think there's too many. Maybe there's one or two in the, in the bigger counties. So that that shows there's just a massive gap, and Dublin have been dominating both, both club football, you know, and and I suppose Harlan there in the in the last year or two as well. So there there definitely is there is a massive gap between both, and 
there's nobody expecting Carlow to, to beat Dublin, you know, on Sunday. It'd be very, very interesting to see what Stephen Porter, what game plan he comes up with, how many, uh, how many he puts in defence, because obviously the way the, the game has gone, teams are putting 13 behind the ball, but it's going to be very difficult for Carlow to put 13 behind the ball and at the same time try and get up the other end and get, get scores. You know, the, 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 I suppose the difference in fitness and, and physicality is going to be huge as well. Yeah, and hopefully the likes of Paul Broderick and Brendan Murphy can shine again. After that win over Wexford, um, I, I sent a message to Daniel St-Ledger congratulating him and saying they must have done a huge booze after it. And he sent me a message back saying, actually, it wasn't that bad. I teach with Cluxton, so I wanted to be an early and not give him that mental edge with a smiley face after it. Like, what, what sort of way do you think these Carlo players are looking at it? Do you think they're going, we're on a hiding to nothing? Do they want to get stuck in? How do you think they're looking at it? Well, as, as a player, you have to go and believe that, you know, that something, something could happen on the day. You, you realize I was involved in Carlo against Mead a couple of years ago in Croke Park. We were after beating Wexford and beat Wicklow and we seemed to be going really, really well. And we got into Croke Park and after 10 minutes, we realized that, that this game was gone. And Mead that day beat us by, by eight points and went on to win the All, sorry, 18 points, but it could have been 28. Yeah. But they went on to win the All Ireland. So, you have to be realistic at, at the same time and, and see where Dublin are and see where Carlo are. So players will be looking for a performance, look look to match up who, who they're against. And um, obviously it is going to be very, very tough. But, you know, they have to believe in their game plan. They have to, you know, stick with it and believe uh, what, what Stephen Porter and Carlo Bryan and them have put forward for them. And, you know, hopefully, as I said, they can get a performance and, and not be totally wiped out on the day. Willie, I guess from your own football career, most of the good days and most of the good memories come from playing with your club, Air Oak, winning Leinster and competing for All-Irelands. But what about with Carlo? What stands out? What are the, the days in that multicoloured jersey that you remember? Yeah, I suppose the be all, winning the All-Ireland and, and, and in the Bourne Cup, they would be the, the two best days. We beat, we beat Westmead in, in Tullamore on, on the day. I think we beat them by two or three points. Um, and, and coming back to Carlo... You know, it was just fantastic. It was, I know it was only a B All Ireland, but it was, it was like an All Ireland to, to, to us, a proper All Ireland. The, the amount of, uh, people, you know, on the streets and the whole way up, up to the Royal Hotel, I think, that was there at that time. It was just fantastic. Same, same with the Bourne Cup. And as well as that, the coverage that the players would have got that time and, you know, would have put us out, I suppose, on the spotlight that you'd be well known all around the other counties. And these bunch of guys are, are the same after the performance last, you know, last, last Sunday week. Their names are out there. They're on the, the national papers, and and that can only be good for them. And hopefully, you know, a big performance push on into the into the qualifiers. And next year, definitely looking at, at getting out of Division Four. I think that would be fantastic for for Carlo. I think I think it's interesting listening to you talking about how great those memories were of winning the Be All Ireland. And of course, with Dublin coming down the tracks here, that's obviously not what Carlo are thinking about right now. But do you think a lot of players walk away because they're like, what's the point? We can't beat a Dublin. We can't win an All-Ireland. So from that point of view, do you think something like a B-All-Ireland coming back in again that Carlo, Wexford, whoever can uh, hope to win would keep more players involved and actually be more rewarding? I don't know if it would keep more involved because you can see the, the amount of players that actually go to, to America or, or London or wherever and play, play football after the Ganoli Championship. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure if a B, B All Ireland would keep would actually keep them there because as soon as you can, you know the players, even local players, Leash, Kildare, all around those areas. As soon as they're gone out of the championship, they're nearly their ticket is you know gone straight to America or wherever they're going, and you can't really blame them. They're getting a, a summer a summer in America, probably getting a few pound over it, and 
you know, I don't don't think them for, for that point that, that they would keep them here. But it, I mean, this has been different this year for, for in the last two years for Carlo because there's nobody leaving the panel. Everybody wants to stay on board. You know, they can see the improvement that's been made and see where they're going. And you know, I, I just it, it it would be hard. I know they tried to be all Ireland there a few years ago. It was great for us then because we were a long long way behind any other team, and to win a be all Ireland was fantastic, of course. But um, I, I can't see it working again now that it is gone. If, if there was a proper structure, and again, it always comes back to structures, doesn't it? But if, for example, the Leinster Championship provided you with the chance to win a game like you already have, then get a crack at a Dublin, and afterwards, rather than going down a qualifier route, which you know will eventually end and probably end quickly, hopefully for Carlo they'd get a winnable game in the qualifiers, but I think you, you see where I'm going with that. Rather than that, that after this game against Dublin, you'd go into a competition that you could win. Yeah, that uh, as you said, Oshin, proper structure. The structure was there that you, that you had a chance that you were looking at six or seven other teams that were after maybe eight teams that are that were dropping into that division as well, and and you were looking at it and you were thinking, yeah, we have a chance here. Then obviously it, it would keep you know the likes of the Carlos, the Wicklow's, I suppose the, the Division Four teams it would keep guys around and and get them playing, and that that would be fantastic at the end of it if you, if you're in Crow Crow Park and you know winning a, a BL Ireland if it was that case, obviously. Every player and every every manager wants a crack at the championship. So you know we beat Wexford, and uh, we're looking at playing Dublin. And maybe maybe then you know after that, if players stay around, it would be fantastic to, to run that PL Ireland that way. Yeah. And just before we let you go, Willie, um, do you think no matter what happens on Saturday night in Port Leash, live on Sky Sports, I might add, that there will be a positive vibe around Carlo going into the qualifier, or with all the will in the world, if they lose by twenty points, which is realistic. Do you think that could just wipe all the good done from the win against Wexford? No, I think there's a great there's a great buzz at the moment, Dushin. There's fantastic buzz around. I mean, no, nobody is expecting expecting Carroll to beat Dublin. Actually, what people are thinking of, you know, get a performance, ha, you know, have a look at where we are, get into the qualifiers, and and see what we can do. So I think there's a great buzz at the moment, and I think I think um, you know they'll get plenty of support on on Saturday evening, and it'll be fantastic for, for the players. And I think they, you know they might they might think the same, and if. If we can get a, you know, a good run in the qualifiers, I think it would be a fantastic year for Carlo. Yeah, it's a bit like a, a non-league team getting a big draw in an FA Cup third round. It doesn't matter what happens, you can enjoy it. Uh, Willie, thank you very much for joining us on Off The Ball's GA podcast. I say the game is live on Sky Sports. It is also, of course, live on KCLR with yourself and the bowl, Brendan Hennessy. So enjoy the night and best of luck. Well, indeed. Thanks, Oshin. This is Off The Ball's GA podcast. It's Oshin and Shane with you. We're joined by former... Leash player and now Midlands 103 analyst Peter O'Leary. Peter, how are you? Good afternoon, how are you getting on? Oh, very good. Leash taking on Kildare in a local derby this weekend. Unfortunately for yourself though, it uh, maybe is a game that brings up mostly unhappy memories. Yeah, I suppose I think I, I only have one one victory over them as far as I can remember in the in a championship game. I think the last two I was involved and in, I was injured for one, but we didn't really come out on the right side of it. I think that was when Kieran McGinney was in charge of Clare and just their overall physically they were too powerful at that time. Where does the game against Kildare stand in the list of rivalries and the list of derby games? Because Leash being Leash, Leash being positioned where they are, you have a lot of neighbours. Yeah, I suppose. I probably think it's the most important one because Kildare are for the last well since I've been involved with senior football have been probably the the higher up local like you have Offaly there as well but I don't know I think that game has kind of lost its 
bit of appeal because a lot of lads know one another, but there seems to be always niggle between Leash and Blair, whatever it is, and it's probably got to do with down to your tie side and belly line and all that. But like I'm close enough to Munster Evan as well, so I, I I would probably put Kildare as the the biggest local game for me anyway. I just don't like playing against them. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I've seen both of these teams play recently. I saw Kildare against uh, Galway in the Division Two League final, where Galway won, and and Kildare were pretty disappointing. Other than uh, Neil Kelly up front, or um, other than Niall Kelly up front, they didn't really seem to have that many scoring threats. Whereas Leash, you look up front with Donny Kingston, Paul Kingston, and um, also John O'Loughlin. They've unbelievable target men up there. Do you, can you see that being the difference, especially with Ben McCormick not being looking like he's not going to be fit either? That Leash have the edge up front. Yeah, and I see Neil Flynn is out as well. I yeah. suppose before that game against Galway, at that stage in the at that point in the league, you probably would have said, "Well, Clare are going to motor through the championship," and Leash had been going poor in the league at that point. And then after the Galway game and after Leash's championship game, you'd say it's going to be an awful lot tighter because, as you say, Clare were very poor. They looked. Cribben didn't have look to have the same legs in them and they looked a bit out of ideas up front like Niall Kelly was in a full forward line on his own and granted when he got the ball he was dangerous but they struggled to get him enough ball whereas the moving of Leash for Leash the moving of John O'Loughlin to centre forward has just gave them a, a new a new dimension going forward altogether because we no longer have a centre forward where you can say oh well we let him drift back around the field or he's kind of drifting as a third man for the kicker and he has to be marked so they're sending their centre back after him which Longford got caught out and Leash win it and they're straight down through the middle so look and then you have the two Kingstons inside where Donny's just playing unbelievable football this year like he's there's no team in the country the way he's playing at the minute he wouldn't make like he's and Clare are going to target him though They'll have to, but do you think that, um, and I'm not sure if you were at the Leash-Longford game, but it was four goals um, in the space of maybe six minutes either uh, side of half-time. There wasn't that much in terms of scores between the team other- otherwise, but Leash were definitely the, the stronger team. Do you think that Leash have the scoring power in them throughout the game, I mean, and not just in little bursts to actually take down uh, Kildare? Yeah, well, I suppose that was four shots and four goals in all two yeah. before half-time and two after but as you say, it wasn't there wasn't much in it at that stage. But Leash had had an awful amount of chances prior to the two goals getting in. They just weren't capitalising. And I think if we look at the way Kildare played against Galway, Kildare are going to invite teams onto them. At, well, that seemed to be the way they went about it then. So, like Leash are going to get the chances. And I think with Paul playing well up there with Donny and Evan Evan O'Carroll back to fitness and John O'Loughlin has now moved in. That's added four score and forwards. And then you have the likes of Niall Dunher and Alan Farrell who will work up and down the field all day but also chip in with one or two scores a game themselves as well so like I think Leash have moved on really from the league and have got all their players back from injury and everybody seems to be fully fit which gives Leash an awful amount of firepower up front that's always been one thing that we said we, we, we do have the capabilities to put big scores like Did we see in the game against Longford what Peter Creeden was trying to achieve in the league and retrospectively now does the league maybe seem not so bad even though Leash were relegated because there's a coherent plan because there's a manager who seems to really know what he's at is it a case that you can kind of nearly accept the relegation because you know he's building for the future with a very good bunch of players I mean I don't think people realise there's an awful lot of talent in Leash you've been outlining 
that some of that talent there, Peter, but I don't think the outside world realises how much talent you have. No, they don't. And we, like, in fairness, you look at under-21 teams, and while we might not be winning under-21s and minor, like we do have two or three very strong players coming through each year off each team. Like I know we're not winning as a team, but like to progress towards senior, we do have two or three very strong lads. Like you've you've um, Owen Buggy coming through as well. I thought he was brilliant the last day. So like he's coming on in the backs, and he's very very athletic. Like I, I do think Leash have underage players coming through while not winning. But at that being said, you only need a couple of players to come through off each of those teams to make your your senior squad stronger and with injuries clearing up you're seeing a very strong leash squad and the results show it Is there a bit of apathy towards the team within leash and could a win against Kildare blow that apathy away and maybe take a bit of a weight off because I had that sense watching leash over the last couple of years that they were kind of playing under a crowd and that their own crowd were cynical towards them and that, that can make things quite difficult Yeah I suppose that's kind of always been the case even I suppose we were doing well when Justin McNulty was there and yet people were giving out about negative football but we were conceding very little and then we tried to do the exact opposite we tried to play expansive football and we maybe conceded higher scores and then you you give out about that because you're not winning matches so like there is a fine balance there and I suppose the crowd just have to you know if you're a leash person you have to just go and support you will get the good with the bad but like how many people there will talk about the Longford game the last day that weren't even at the game yeah. because weren't there, but yet they could turn up for the next one, which might yeah, not go so well. And you know then, what? I don't even mean specifically the people who actually go to the games because generally they they mm. they will get behind you. Of course, if it's not going well, they'll react, and that's the nature of crowds. But I just mean generally the leash public. Yeah, but that's how it starts. Yeah, some people there, and then they come back with that perception and it grows negative. Negative image grows quicker than a positive one for some reason. Leash, and that is that's the problem. Like if crowds have dwindled. Like some stages there, where you might only have two or three hundred leash people at league games. I know the last day against Longford was actually a much improved crowd from what I had thought, and you could hear it when Leash got on top. You could really hear it, and it didn't really give Longford any chance to get back into the game. And it does make a big difference when if you get on top of the team and you have your crowd cheering you on and a strong crowd. It just mentally it gets at the other team as well. And do you think there's a nice balance to the squad? And I don't just mean in a playing sense, I mean in a in a getting on with each other sense this season because they've had a tough couple of years. Oh, yeah, well, I'd say personally all the lads get on well with one another. There does be a lot of team bonding and things like that. Yeah. But all lads know one another now. Like, you know, there, I wouldn't say there's any disharmony in the squad or anything like that. A lot of the lads get on with one another. No, I wouldn't say there be any disruption in the squad like that like but yeah. it is finally balanced like this was the the young players have settled into the squad very well like cuz you know sometimes that would have been a problem with young players coming into the squad but now a lot of the under 21s are training with the seniors so they're already they're already integrated into the squad which is good yeah and peter just before we let you go what is your prediction for the game against the lily whites i th- i think it'll be a tight game and very, very uh, physical, but I think for once, Leash, in a physical sense, are going to be able to match Kildare, and if they can stop Niall Kelly in there doing mm. doing too much damage and win a ball in there on his own, I, I think Kildare are going to give Leash enough chances to keep themselves in the game and hopefully sneak a by a pint or two at the end, especially with injuries that Kildare have, and Leash have a very uh, full squad there at the minute.
Peter, thank you very much for joining us on Off The Ball's GAA podcast. Enjoy the game this weekend. Of course, you'll be covering it for Midlands 103. Cheers. Well, that's almost it for Off The Ball's GAA podcast for this week. But Shane, before we go, we're continuing your top 25 controversial moments from GAA history as per usual. You are springing this one on me. I have not been warned in advance as to what this moment is. Uh, well, it'll be on your mind this week anyway. I, I don't think it could be anything other than a little-known meeting of Meath and Louth in 2010. You oh, wow, it's already been mentioned. Yeah, to be fair, you did. I was trying to I was trying to keep my nerves, as you were saying it. The day that Big Joe dotted down and whipped the Leinster title from Louth's grasp. Uh, that was the day Martin Sludden was balled out of it by the players, physically accosted by the supporters, and had to be ushered off the turf by the Gardaí. Uh, even Loud boss... Uh, Peter Fitzpatrick who should have been celebrating let's be honest at the end of the game he should have been to a first Leinster title in 53 years he had to keep the fans back from Sludden I was looking back on the footage earlier but just to remind to rewind a couple of minutes earlier JP Rooney had scored a lovely goal to put Loud into a winning position there was three minutes of injury time announced at the end of the game and like after they had elapsed Graham Riley picked up the ball and he sent it into the penalty area you know there were they were one ten to 12 down at this stage. He could have possibly gone for a point. Maybe he was. So Seamus Kennedy ended up, uh, Kenny ended up winning the ball, had his shot half blocked, and then two loud defenders went for it and got in each other's way. Uh, Joe Sheridan then pounced on the ball and he actually burrowed for the line like a good prop. Uh, and he rolled over the whitewash and obviously he missed his attempt at kicking the ball. But the ball was already in at that stage anyway. 100% should have been disallowed. And not only that... Seven, there was three minutes of injury time. It was 73-32 on the clock at that stage. But the ref, Sludden, he just told the umpire, lift up the, lift up the flag there, wave that green flag, and pandemonium. Mickey Burke, just uh, in the lead-up to the 2017, the latest rematch, he says I would have given him a replay, being honest. Which uh, Well, that was the talk at the time, that yeah. they should have been given a replay, Louth, and the Meath players wouldn't do it, and the manager at the time wouldn't accede to it and the county mm. board basically said no but Colm O'Rourke has written since in his Sunday Independent article that things haven't been right since and that they kind of um, they kind of took from the honour of previous Meath teams by not offering the replay yeah I'd agree with that Yeah, yeah at the very least you offer it if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen but um, it's, it's funny Burke he's just um, he, he didn't play that day because yeah. he broke a leg um, also Paddy O'Rourke he was, he was suspended because he'd been sent off against Leash as well but otherwise only Graham Riley and Joe Sheridan who was called back up again this year as, as a goalkeeper, goalkeeper yeah. option they're the only ones who still remain so it's you know when you talk about the yeah. me not being the same since it's in a playing sense too I think Louth have uh, just three or four players maybe Declan Byrne and Adrian Reed. But uh, I, my memory of watching that game was I was in New York for the summer and I was in J.P. Clark's pub up in uh, Yonkers and uh, I was living with a couple of Loud and Meadheads and one of them is best friends with uh, Andy McDonald who's injured for the 2017 game yeah. but he played that day and like they were going nuts towards the end of the game and uh, this Mead lad that uh, I was friends with Dermot he's a, he actually hurls for Blackhall Gales he's travelling at the moment but he's a lovely hurler and uh, he was just driving the other guy, the loud mad, loud guy mad by just acting as if they had it under control the whole time. Uh, it, was, it was funny now, I have to say, but uh, could you ever see Louth winning one now with how um, dominant Dublin are? No, you couldn't see them winning. I mean, they're so far off, even as good as they are, and they're quite good at Division 3 level. They got up this year, didn't they? Going up to two. Yeah, exactly, and they're quite good at that level, but you just couldn't see them get with the Nassau's mm. roar of Dublin or any other team in Leinster, including Meath or Kildare. But that Leinster title is weird because 
there's an asterisk over it and any time anyone brings it up that's the memory that jumps out not the fact that Mead won it so Mead got no credit for that I always felt sorry for their players I always felt they were wrong but I did always feel that it was such a terrible situation for them to be in and it should have been taken out of their hands. Yeah, and the worst part for As in, sorry, the decision. Yeah, yeah. The the fact that they'd beaten Dublin by scoring five goals on them in the semi-final, that gets forgotten too. And yeah. it's not many teams that, even then, Dublin obviously weren't the juggernaut they were then. But even then, teams weren't putting five goals against Dublin every day of the week. And uh, it's a shame because it does put an asterisk. But to be fair, it kind of deserves an asterisk. Oh, it absolutely does. So a controversial in, moment, of in, course. In my mind, no... There is no there is no winner of the 2010 Leinster final. As harsh as that might seem on Meath. Technically they won the game but they kind of didn't really. I think we're we're kind of somewhere. But yet somewhere. Loud didn't win it either. One of the nice moments uh, actually after that final was when Louds were beaten by Dublin in the qualifiers. They went for a lap around the pitch and from the hill you could hear Championi being chanted at them. It was a nice moment. I almost got decked by a Louds fan at that game. Did I ever tell you about this? No, you didn't. I cracked some joke Oh, that would have been good now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this really, really, really angry loud fellow, who'd already started on two dub supporters for nothing, turned around and started screaming at me. He says, use lot this, use lot this, use lot that. And I said, enough of the use lot, I'm from Waterford. And he kind of said, yeah, well, whatever then, because he knew he was wrong. You see, he thought I was a dub. And he kind of calmed down then. The situation was calmed down. Good story. Also calmed down by the fact that I had three or four lads beside me. And it was uh, protected in numbers. But sure, that's it, isn't it? Defence in numbers now. Will you write that story down and send it on to me? That's good See, now. We'll be able to review that later. You don't, you, don't have to, uh, you don't have to laugh at the story or find it amusing, but you don't have to be mean either. Well, look, you always it have, is what it is. You don't have to hurt Cut it out me. if you like. Cut you that out. No, no, no. I don't want to cut it out because I think people need to know what kind of character I'm dealing with here. Yeah. Controversial moment? Controversial It'll moment. end up in the cauldron, yeah. The controversial moment this week was Loud's Leinster final defeat in 2010 uh, that's it for Off The Ball's GA podcast for this week don't forget you can keep an eye on everything going on over the weekend on Off The Ball on air on Saturday at 1 o'clock and Sunday at 1 o'clock we also have a Facebook live from Thurless at half 2 on Sunday uh, Gizzy Ling and I will be looking ahead to Clare against Limerick uh, Shane where can we direct abuse to you at Shane Saint on Twitter and you can direct only nice things to me on at Oshin Langan and don't forget GA on Off The Ball with Board Gosh Energy proud sponsors of the GA Hurling All-Ireland Senior Championship hashtag Hurling to the Core we'll catch you again goodbye will be a goal on here goal chance for Conor McGrath surely give it in Conor what a goal Mackey heading it towards the 21 metre line Kim Mackey still going goal is up for Cam what a goal I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly. But will stick in your mind that the champions who showed class. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. It's a small change before the game, worth the street. Been a look, Sam. Donovan, Connor, a wild effort on goal. It's on the